Welcome. You are listening to a sermon preached at Church at the Armory. If you like what you hear, share it. God bless you. Praise God. First message of 2024. I am looking forward to this. And uh, I'm also... um, I'm also attempting to do something I've never really done before, which is, uh, there's going to be, uh, as you know, most of you who've been listening, pay attention, I'm about to do something this year I've never done before, and that is embark on basically eight months of systematic preaching through the Beatitudes. That's not my style. That's not how I, I ride, but that's what the Lord asked me to do. So you're going to get teaching out the wall zoo this year. You're going to get Bible teaching, Bible teaching, Bible teaching until you're sick of it, okay? And uh, if I haven't made you sick of it, I haven't, made my, I haven't done my job very well. Today's not that day. Today's not Bible teaching. Today's not, um, you know, a, uh, I'm, I'm not going to teach you anything. Matter of fact, my goal at the end of the message today is to get you to ask a question. Are you raising your hand? It's like... Amen. Praise the Lord. I love her positive attitude. I'm going to preach. I'm going to teach until you uh, throw up whatever I said. (laughs) It won't be lukewarm. Uh, Side note. Side note. I said this on Facebook. Uh, Yesterday, Friday. Everybody say Selah. You know what Selah means? Selah means stop and think about it in a sense. Ponder it. Meditate on what was just said. Friday, raining all day at 38, 39 degrees. The difference 10 degrees would have made was instead of everybody on Facebook complaining about how nasty it was, everybody been on Facebook talking about how beautiful it was. So the point is, just a slight temperature adjustment in your relationship with God can turn something ugly into something beautiful. Did the scripture about being hot or cold isn't about being hot. It's about being sold out to whatever you were created to be. This lukewarmness, it's not having, it's being half in one way or the other is what God spits out. But if God created you to be a mountain with snow-capped mountain, then be the most beautiful, snowy, snow-capped mountain you've ever been. If he created you to be the beauty of a desert like we just got out of, just be the most beautiful desert, right? Whatever God created you to be, burn or freeze for that in, the, in Christ. That makes sense? But don't be half in in 2024, and most beautiful things come with a slight temperature adjustment. Anyway, say la. <laughs> Think about that. All right. Um, and then, um, so where was I at before Sherry so rudely interrupted me? <laughs> now I'm thinking about regurgitating. Oh, yeah. So today's not that day. Today is a very different day that's meant to leave you with a question mark, meant to leave you with a, a question to go ponder for the rest of the year. So let's pray. Holy Spirit, we love you. I can wait for the amen. amen. Let's try it again. Holy Spirit, we love you. Amen. See, we're praying together here. We're grateful that you have uh, brought us through our hundredth year, and, and we're just honored to have this legacy in Christ that you have put upon this church. So may we be faithful in the next hundred years. May we exemplify Jesus. May we be the church that he builds, and may we be the people of Jesus, that when uh, 
we meet together, that every time we meet together, may we be transformed by the renewing of our minds and conform to the image of Christ. That we would not, at the end of 2024, look anything like we do today. I can wait for an amen. amen. That at the end of 2024, we would not look like we do today. That we would be so conformed and transformed to the image of God and the renewing our mind by the word of God that we are completely different as a church and individuals. Amen. That is our prayer as we approach your word this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I'm going to try to do something. It, it may not, it may not uh, work, Okay. It, sometimes you think in your head uh, it's going to go one way and it doesn't really go one way. So y'all give me grace this morning, but I'm not going to preach to you a, a systematic verse-by-verse uh, verse scripture. I'm going to tell a story, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to narrate this story for a while, and you're in the story. You're a Bible character. We'll figure out who it is in just a second, but I want us to begin. Everybody, uh, fire up your imagination. Reach in there and turn, turn the key onto your imagination. And everybody, as we talk about the story, I want you to picture the story in your mind, and I want you to live the story for a few minutes. Okay? Okay? Okay, good. I mean, uh, anyway. You are, by all accounts, asleep. So imagine your eyes are closed and you are asleep. It's dark. It's cold. Um, it's black. Not the kind of black that is the absence of, not the kind of black that's the absence of light. It's the kind of black that's the absence of life. It's dark. Something going on? Okay. You're not aware, really, of anything. It's, when I say it's dark, it's the absence of light. It's the absence of life. Your eyes can't see anything. Your ears can't hear anything. There's no movement in your lungs. There's no, there's no feeling. There's no uh, receptor to feel. It's not the kind of cold that I could warm up by a fire. It's the kind of cold that literally you feel as if you are dead. It's the kind of cold that's not the absence of warmth. It's the kind of cold that the absence of a soul and the absence primarily of a spirit. You're laying there and you just are, but at the same time you are not. And then out of nowhere, from the darkest, coldest, deadest place, there comes a sound. 
Now, the sound is at the same time the most unique sound you've ever heard. And at the same time, you heard that voice before. And ears that can't hear are processing a sound. And in one moment, your lungs explode with air. You try to open your mouth, but it's wrapped up. You try to open your eyes, but it's like you can't see anything. You, you go to move, and you're totally restrained and restricted by grave clothes. And you hear your name, Lazarus. I don't know what it's like. We've seen it depicted in movies. You know, being in a dark room and somebody threw like a flashbang grenade, which is a grenade that doesn't really blow stuff up, but it makes a bright light and a, and a deafening sound. And I'm a, I, my, my interpretation, when God said, when Jesus said, Lazarus, so much exploded inside of your dead life, your dead body, that it was disorienting at first to figure out from dead to life, and how did I get here, where am I, what is going on? So you're disoriented. You're trying to see, you can't see. You can, you can tell that there is light coming through the door, and there is light trying to shine through the cloth. You can tell that there's sound penetrating your ears. And again, that sound is the familiar voice of your friend, Jesus. But you've never heard his voice this way before. You can feel your body come into temperature. You can feel the grave clothes wrapped around your arms and your legs and your you can feel as you try to breathe, you're breathing through a cloth trying to get as much oxygen. You struggle against, you struggle against the bindings of the clothes, and at some point you're able to figure out how to stand up. There's a ringing in your ears. There's a disorientation. You don't know where you are. You don't know why you're there. The last thing you remember was being sick. You don't know why you're there. You don't know what's going on. The only thing that you know to do is to try to go to the voice. So you begin to shuffle. Well, I always think about the story of Lazarus and Jesus. You know, there's background music and Jesus says, Lazarus, come forth. And then we think immediately everybody sees it, but it, it may have taken him five minutes to get outside the door. And I imagine 
in my kind of the story, the people that were standing around are starting to kind of grumble and kind of like, Jesus, what do you think you're doing? This is weird. And then all of a sudden, you, Lazarus, you're shuffling your way towards the light, more importantly, towards the voice. By the way, that sound that came to your ears, that voice, for the rest of your new life, your first step was to the voice, and you'll spend the rest of your life trying to get to that voice. You broach the door, and you hear people screaming, gasping, crying, running, terrified, and glorified all in the same way. Someone runs up to you, begins ripping clothes off of your face. Now I can breathe. The light is so right the sunlight is blinding your eyes you still have, you still don't really know what's going on you're trying to figure out what in the world is going on around here they're ripping gla- grave clothes off now I'm, I'm moving past the what's in the bible here so y'all can just stone me later if you want to but you're there and they and they pulled the they pulled the cloth off of your face and your eyes are trying to adjust. Eyes that have, that have not seen the light of day in four days. You look around, you see your sister. She's standing in front of you. There's tears streaming down her face. She's hugging you, and you're already constrained enough. You're like, can, get, get, me, get me out of this. Get me out of this grave clothes. There's a reason Jesus said, loose him, get him out of those grave clothes. And you're looking around, and you're seeing faces in shock, faces in horror, faces with their mouths hanging wide open, faces who are just like crying and beaming with surprise. And then your eyes catch a face. And you see the face from where the voice came from. He's not shocked. I think it's broken 2024. He's not shocked. He's not going. He's looking into you. He's staring into your eyes. He's looking into you. And at that moment, you know that that man just did something that superseded everything you knew about him before. I said, I said you recognized his voice earlier, and you did recognize his voice earlier. That was Jesus. That's the guy that's been at your dinner table countless of times. You've helped him do some stuff. Uh, he's helped you do some stuff. Your sisters, uh, they have a cool testimony about how he transformed their lives, right? You know this guy. He's your friend. But when he spoke... That wasn't a friend's voice. It sounded like the voice of God. And it so left an impression on you 
that you want to hear him speak. So you start shuffling that way as they're unwrapping you. And you look him in the eye, and he looks at you, and he says, Good job, chap. I don't know what he said. He looks at him. They exchange a few words. Glad to have you back, buddy. Who knows what this said? They finally get you out of the grave clothes. They finally get you a fresh set of clothes to put on. They come to you and, here, do you want some dates? Do you need some water? People are surrounding you like a mob. The whole town is buzzing and the whole town is, as they begin to find out, is coming to wherever you are and you were, you had just went from being the most alone you've ever been to now being the most crowded you've ever been. And they're pressing you on all sides and they're saying, what was it like? How did Jesus do that? Was you really dead? Peach in your face. What happened? What's out there? Was there a light? Did you go to the tunnel? And they're asking you all these questions and you're sitting there and you're, again, you're still in a somewhat of a daze and a fog and discombobulated and you're trying to process what has just happened to you. And more than anything, more than anything, more than anything you want to do, you want to ask Jesus a ton of questions. How'd you do that? Um... I knew you were special. I didn't know it was like that. The day goes on. The crowds don't leave. You get some food in your stomach. You've told the story. There's my story, guys. I was asleep, I was dead. I heard a voice. I got up and walked to the voice. Well, how did they do that? I don't know. I want to know too. And you tell everybody over and over again. More people come to the door. More people come and, and, and people are just buzzing about this man who was dead who's now alive. You. Now. Dinner comes, the sun begins to set, y'all with me? The sun begins to set, somebody builds a fire, you warm yourself around the fire, you tell the story to a few more people, on one hand, it's so soon you're not even experiencing the gratefulness to be alive. You're trying to figure out how am I alive. Does that make sense? On the other hand, what happened to you is almost scary. Raise your hand if you've been dead before. <laughs> right? Like, I, And so... This idea that I've never been dead before, like, I don't, I mean, I'm alive again. Like, what do I do with this information? So finally, the sisters are tired of serving food and pouring drinks and people messing up their house. So they shoo everybody off. 
and it's just y'all three, and they're sitting around the house, and they just keep smiling at you. You're like a circus sideshow, right? They just keep smiling at you, and they just keep rubbing your shoulder, and we're so glad you're back. And they're asking you questions. Did you see Mama? Did you see Papa? And you're like, I didn't, I don't know. All I know is utter darkness, and then I heard a voice. So finally, they're like, all right, let's leave him alone, because after all, being raised from the dead was probably exhausting. So he finally, after hours and hours of reliving in his head and telling out loud the story of the day, he goes to his room. He sits down on the bed and lays down, reaches over, and blows out the candle. Then quickly you hear shuffling and you hear, and then the light, the candle comes back on. It's a little too soon for that kind of darkness again. So he's laying there and the flame is flickering in the corner of the room and he's He's half afraid to go to sleep because last time he went to sleep, he didn't wake up. And so he's laying there and he's thinking about what in the world has happened that day. He closes his eyes and he begins to drift off. And then he wakes himself back up, sit up on the edge of the bed and just look around. And he's thinking, what happened? Right? I go, what would you say? Like, we have this picture that Lazarus just was raised from the dead and he understood everything and just walked around like some kind of glowing encyclopedia of what happened. I think it stunned him to his core and he was dazed and confused and had to process what it was like to be dead and now to be fully alive. So after hours and hours of fighting sleep, he finally so exhausted, you go to sleep. Your eyes pop open. Sunlight's shining through the window. Let's do something. Somebody, Chad, where you at, Chad? Are you sleeping? Are you Lazarus? Come forth. <laughs> Go bring the chalkboard over here for me real fast. The rooster crows, your eyes pop open. There's sunlight coming through there. You can smell stuff. Martha's already been up, and she's cooking pancakes, bacon. Not bacon. Uh, she's cooking pancakes and fried salmon or something. Okay, nope, not salmon. Anyway, she's cooking stuff. Turn it around the other way, please. And uh, you can smell coffee brewing. Amen. And so his senses are alive. His senses are working. He can hear rustling and bustling in the other room. He can hear their voices through the wall. He can see light. He can feel the warmth of his bed covers, right? Uh, he can, when he puts his feet on the floor, he can feel, hey, that floor is cold, right? So he finds his sandals. He begins to, oh, man, I have bad breath. I need to brush my teeth, right? He makes himself ready. And... Uh, this is what I want to do. Somebody, Helen, you got your phone? Calculator. Let's pretend that Lazarus is about Jesus' proximate age, right? Because you're generally not friends with people 
much younger and much older than you. So let's just pretend Lazarus is 32 years old. How many days is 32 years? Okay. 1,000 what? 11,680. Okay, add 180 because he's 32 and a half years old. 1,860 days old, he went to sleep. Four days passed. He don't know four days passed. He's in utter darkness. He's in the absence of life. Uh, this is pre-cross, pre-resurrection theology, so we don't really know. He was in a bosom, maybe he was just absent. Okay? He heard a voice. He wakes up. Day 11,861. 11, but really, it's the first day of the rest of his life. Right? He gets up, puts on his clothes for the day. He walks out the door. His sisters both run and hug him excessively. It's almost like he had been dead or something. They bring him in there, sit him down, throw some food in front of him. Eat, eat, eat. He eats his meal. They're, how'd you sleep? What'd you dream about? Dream about being dead? Was it cool? Was it not cool? Was you alive? Right? What'd you dream about? Did you see Jesus in your or not Jesus, but did you see God in your dream? Like what, what, what was going on? And he's just questions after questions after questions. So after breakfast, he decided, I don't want to be bombarded by people this morning. I'm gonna go kind of go for a walk. So he's going for a walk. By himself, alone with his own thoughts again. He's walking through the uh, Galean hillsides and the sun is shining. The sky is bluer than it's ever been blue. The grass is greener than it's ever been green. Smell is intensified. Sound is as pure and clear as it ever has been. And he's enjoying life. At the same time, he's in the same town, same body, same place, same family, same friends, but he is not the same. Everything is different. He's walking back into town. One of his friends runs up to him. I had 3,000 miles to think about this sermon, by the way. <laughs> He's walking back into town. One of his friends walking, hey, Tuesday night, bunko night. You want to come over to the whatever? We'll get, we'll get, uh, what do they call like the, the, the moms? Remember that? What do they call Jesus' mom? Remember? In the chosen. Huh? Ama. Whatever. We'll get Ama to make your favorite dessert and we'll play Bunko and which we do every Tuesday night and we'll do this. It's going to be great. He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And on the inside, he's saying, yeah, yeah, yeah. On the, out, on, the, on, the, on the inside, he's saying, on the outside, he's saying, yeah, yeah. On the inside, it just doesn't sound as appealing as it used to. Come on. Come on. I'm not, this is not a statement about Tuesday night, by the way. 
And that is kind of the question he's been asking himself on this walk is like, well, what do I do now? On the first day of the rest of his life, what's actually important, what's actually not? His family is important, sure. His job is important, yeah. Being a good brother, being a community guy, that's important, sure. But see, in some sense, he used to care. Like, it bothered him that their house, him and his sister's house, wasn't quite as nice as the house across the street. It kind of bothered him. You know, you wouldn't say it, but you would just kind of like, you know, there was just kind of deals like, I need to spend this next time making sure my house is as nice as that. That wasn't important anymore. His hobbies weren't as important anymore. His fun time wasn't important anymore. Just things changed. The one thing he wanted to do the most, think about this. What would be the one thing you'd want to do the most, Lazarus? You're full of questions. You've been reborn, but you have no sense, but all your sense of direction and purpose is now different, and you don't really know what that sense of purpose and direction is. You've been given a chance that very few, if any people in history, have ever been given the chance to do, and that's to live again after you've died. So who does he want to talk to? Who does he want to talk to? Jesus. He'll know. After all, he's the guy that made this happen. But as is typical of Jesus, he's the guy that always does these miracles and then kind of goes missing for a while. So he's not there. They don't know where he is. No one else, look at me, no one else has the answers to Lazarus' questions except Jesus. But Lazarus, more than anything, listen to me, Lazarus, more than anything, wants to talk to Jesus, but he's not just looking for answers. He wants to hear that sound again. So the Bible says, let's read this here. John chapter 12, verse 1. We're going to read verse 11 verses. It says this. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus lived. Not past tense. Currently. He once was dead, but now he's alive, and he's living again And he's in Bethany, and Jesus is coming back to his town six days before Passover. Whom Jesus has raised from the dead. This is not a Bible story. This actually happened. Lazarus was really dead. He'd really been dead for four days in a grave. He really would have stank. And now he's alive. Verse 2. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was Where? 
Lazarus was right there next to Jesus, reclining at the table. He wanted to be where Jesus was, and he wanted to be close. Verse 3, Mary took a pint. As far as we know, this is the first time Jesus shows back up after he raised Lazarus from the dead. He's on his way to Jerusalem six days before the Passover, and they're like, hey, we're having dinner. Stop by, and we want to. And the only logical thing Mary can think to do to the man who just raised my brother from the dead was to take my expensive, most precious gift and to throw it at his feet. That sounds extremely logical right now, doesn't it? Mary took a pint of pure nard, expensive. Everybody say expensive. You've heard all this sermon. Some people say that this was a year's worth of wages. Who knows? All we know is the scripture verified its expense in two ways. One, it tells us it's expensive. And B, the money guy in the crowd, he's upset that we're uh, being so lavish and wasteful with such a great expense. She poured it at Jesus' feet. Don't lose character. You're Lazarus. Stay there. You're reclining next to Jesus. You are right there next to Jesus. And what is your nose full of? The smell of the most expensive aroma on the planet. You went from able to smell nothing to having the most beautiful offering the earth can give up in your nostrils in a matter of days. There she is. She's pouring it on her feet. She's wiping her feet with her hair. This doesn't, look at me, this doesn't seem extreme at all. When you've been raised from the dead, this seems like the least we could do. Okay, now I'm preaching better than you're shouting. This seems like a very, very, very nominal response to having once been dead but now being alive. The house was filled with the aroma. Verse 4, one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, who would later betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? Its worth was a year's wages. We do know. Its worth was a year's wages. Imagine taking, uh, let's say the median income amongst us is $70,000. Imagine taking $70,000 perfume and pouring it on the feet of Jesus. It absolutely seems logical when you were dead. Oh, how we forget how dead we were. Oh, I'm preaching better than you're shouting. Oh, how we forget how dead we were. That extravagant worship seems extravagant, but it's not extravagant at all. It's the most logical thing to do when you were dead. Hello. 
but now you're not. But really what bothers us more than our extravagant worship is other people's extravagant worship. If the church has been guilty of judging anything, it's judging other people's worship and saying extravagance. And we're talking about how much they put on a show and how much they do. Well, you don't really, maybe, they real, maybe they're aware of how much more dead they were than you are aware of how much more dead they were. Or he who's been forgiven much loves much. Verse 6. Judas didn't say this because he cared about the poor. Because he was a thief. He's after his father, Satan. Right? John talked about this. The children of God and the children of the devil are very easily known. The children of God look like God. The children of the devil look like their father, the devil. Satan is a thief. A keeper of the money bag. He used it to help. He used to help himself to what was in it. Verse 7. Leave her alone. I want to say, my story, I can tell it how I want to. I want to say that the same voice that said Lazarus come forth with the same voice that said leave her alone. You are not helping me at all today. I mean, the voice that thundered inside Lazarus's dead ears with the voice that scared the bejesus out of uh, uh, Judas when he decided to shut his mouth real quick. Leave her alone. Think about this. What she's doing to me right now is preparing me to go where Lazarus was. And the whole story is a precursor to resurrection that Jesus himself would go into. Go into death for God to say, Jesus Come for it. Verse 8. You're always going to have the poor among you, but you won't always have me. Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there. Jesus drawing large crowds was not anything new. Right? Everywhere he went, large crowds flocked. To the point that he would run from crowds. But they didn't come just for Jesus. Not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he raised from the dead. There is a spectacle among us. Jesus is cool, Jesus is amazing. Jesus is the reason. But I'm looking at a man. I'm looking at a person who was dead. Four days, I saw them dead. I smelled the smell when they rolled away the stone. I'm looking at what I believe to be 100% a fact. There was a dead person. And now they're sitting in front of me. 
they're, they're, they're fully alive. I can hear their voice when they're talking. I can see their shirt move, his shirt move with his heartbeat. I can see him move. I can see him eat. I can see him cry as he would just sit there and smell that smell and hear that voice as he would talk over dinner and tears would just roll down his face. I can see a living man in front of me. Verse 10. Oh, chief priests, God bless them. They said, we're going to kill Jesus and Lazarus too. We're going to kill Jesus and Lazarus too. Why? What did you do, Lazarus? What did you do? I don't know. I heard a voice. I heard a voice call my name, and I got up and went to it. And now everything, everything is different. Nobody wanted to kill me before. Nobody wanted to talk to me before. I don't know what in the world has happened other than, other than my friend said my name. Amen. So according to church history, according to folklore, this is not take it to the bank. This is the tradition of the Eastern Orthodox Church. That Lazarus ends up in Cyprus. You remember this? Y'all remember that? That the day before Palm Sunday, they would have Lazarus Day. The Saturday before Palm Sunday, they'd have Lazarus Day. That still happens in the Eastern Orthodox Church. As a precursor to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He was verified or identified as a saint. Uh, some people say he did miracles, whatever. All we know is, but the threat of death, him and his sisters leave. We never hear anything about Lazarus after this other than what folklore church history tells us. And the possibility that he went around spreading the gospel as a precursor to the concept of missionaries, and he ends up in Cyprus, and he ends up preaching the gospel and doing wonders and miracles and all this kind of stuff. Here's my question. The first day of the rest of Lazarus' life, what, is, what do you want to do, Lazarus? Raise your hand, Lazarus. Y'all are not catching on very fast. Raise your hand, Lazarus. Everybody got their hand up. Okay. First day of the rest of your life, what do you want to do? Now, I'm here to tell you, in my opinion, the one thing that Lazarus wanted to do above all else was to be within earshot of Jesus' voice again. That sound that woke him from the dead would never leave him. That sound would be the pursuit of the rest of his life. 
And then when it cost him his own personal security, and then whenever Jesus is dead, he would make that sound known everywhere he went. Church, we just celebrated a hundred years. Today, look at me, if you pay attention, today is the first Sunday of a hundred and one. Church, Lazarus. What do you want to do with the rest of your life? I honor our past. I'm tired of talking about our past. Today is the first Sunday of the next hundred years. What do we want to do? My personal opinion, first thing I want to do is what we did this morning, and that's to hear his voice every time we gather. What's the purpose of the church? Before we extend a message, before we serve someone who's poor, sick, before we do anything externally. The very first purpose of the rest of Lazarus's life was to hear the voice that raised him from the dead. Amen. We can do church, but I will not, I repeat, I will not do church and Christian life without the voice of God. Amen. There's many things I can live without. Okay? I can live without a lot of things. I have a lot of stuff and a lot of excess in my life. There's many things I can live without. I'm just telling you right now, I can't live without that voice. Amen. So things like prayer, things like worship, things like the scripture, all these places where his voice comes Priority number one. And this is where we are. This is where we are as a church. I don't want to be so dramatic to say we were completely dead, but I am saying we have had a relaunch, a rebirth, a resurrection, seemingly in some regards from the dead. Stuff don't taste the same anymore. The desires and the appetites of our church aren't the same as they were before we died. Now, the value system has changed. What's really important is really important. And many things that we spent a lot of time, money, and energy on aren't quite as important in a resurrected state. The temporal became a lot more temporary. Uh -huh. The stuff that'll burn at the end of the age is a lot is a lot more dry than it used to be. 
as a church, what do we do now? I don't have all the answers. I can tell you the first thing we want to do, that is get an earshot of Jesus, and then I want to spend the rest of my life looking like the man who can call somebody out of a grave. So that's what we're going to do this year. First thing we do, first thing we're going to start with, first place we start with is I want to hear as much of that man talk as I possibly can. Not talking about me, talking about Jesus. What does he have to say? I want to hear it. I guarantee you that when Lazarus was sitting at that dinner, reclining next to Jesus, I guarantee you he was much more quiet and listening. Anything Jesus said, he was soaking up like a sponge. Are y'all with me out there? Everything he said, that voice right there is not the same voice it was uh, uh, a month ago. That voice is different. And what it says what has a lot more importance now. I just kind of wonder if we don't have some of that Lazarus inside of us this morning. I am so grateful to be in a resurrected form as a church. I also say this. Let's think about the church as a whole, not just church at the armory. The church as a whole, by and large, look at me, guys, is pretty sick. And the more we go, a lot of that sickness is leading to death. I do believe that Jesus will call a lot of churches back from the dead. Organizations, churches, whatever. Listen to me. I'm, talking, I'm, kind, of, I'm kind of talking about the church as a whole, not just our back from the dead. And I believe that we are living in a time where the more purification and more resetting of the value system of the church is happening right now. We just happen to be on the front edge of it. And maybe, look, maybe in a small part, we can be an example of what it looks like to the rest of the body of the Christ, rest of the body of Christ, that this is the Jesus way. And maybe we could be bold enough with a lot of humility, and we're going to get there, to say, follow us as we follow Christ. An example. But not for example's sake. Just, just being the Jesus people because we, our value system has changed. Having the biggest... Look, that part I said about Lazarus before in like his house, right? And it was the biggest house and the best house. And, well, you know, I used to be kind of this competitive spirit inside of Lazarus. Well, well, you know, John's house down the road, his house is not nicer than mine. And I just sometimes wish I had a nicer house. And all that stuff has been weeded out of Lazarus's life. Look at me. Look at me. We could care less. Amen. I don't think you are hearing what I'm saying. <laughs> we could care less. We could care less 
about what the ex- look at me. Y'all, y'all, y'all got to hear me. Y'all got to hear what I'm saying. All the stuff that used to be important, who has the biggest church in town, who has the best look, you see what I'm saying? All that stuff, whatever. Uh, I'm alive. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I once was blind, but now I'm see. I once was dead, but now I can smell the perfume again. So the important things have become important again. And we will do with the, the shells that is necessary to sustain the authentic thing inside. So if we got to spend money to grow, we'll spend money to grow. But we ain't spending money to show off. Amen. Why? It's just, who cares? Who cares? I mean, like, when you've been dead but now you're alive... I don't know. I mean, like, yeah, we'll get the grass mode. Just chill. I'm talking to this dude about Jesus, right? So I want you to walk away today with this question and maybe the oddest sermon I've ever preached. If, uh, if you're waiting for me to say, this is what we're going to do, that's not how it works anymore. The same spirit that's inside of me is inside of you. I'm not saying that you can do my job and I can do your job. What I'm saying is, I'm not up here giving marching orders. I am going to lead by being the first guy to bend his knee and the first guy to put my nose on the carpet. I'm going to lead by the first guy to be up here in the prayer closet. I'm going to be the lead by the first guy. I'm not leading to go, here I am. Come follow me. I'm Moses. Jesus, somebody got me this week a, a, a Christmas present. It was a sheepdog. Or a, a, yeah, a sheepdog. And on the back, it's got a scripture about he is the shepherd. Jesus is the great shepherd. Jesus is the chief shepherd. Jesus is our pastor. Jesus is our leader. I hope to be a decent sheepdog. But the dog's running a pack. So when I say don't look for me, I'm not saying that... um, I don't have, I'm busting with vision. I'm busting with the word in my heart right now. It's not because there's a lack of, I don't know where we're going. There's a, there, I'm, I'm busting. I'm saying the activity of the success and the future and the growth of the church is you all, not just the people we hire to do the job. Amen? So, church at the armory. You've been resurrected, rebirthed, relaunched, re-whatever. Retooled, repurposed, re- you've been read. Thank you, Jesus, for a hundred years. But that's not our focus anymore. One hundred and one. We're not in coasting mode. We're not in just... 
just 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 do just keep doing what we've always done for the sake of doing what we've always done mode. We're in a season right now at the beginning of the year to go, what are we going to do on the first Sunday of the rest of our lives? Who are we going to become? Jesus. So that's why we're going to spend the next eight months boring your brains out with what it looks to be like the people of God, the character of Christ, the Beatitudes. Is he going to talk about being meek again? Yes. Why? Because that was the voice that called me out. Is he going to talk about being pure again? Yes, because only the pure voice called me out. The rest of our life is the pursuit of that voice. Hearing it, becoming it, seeing it.